0: Uh, hello and welcome to the STI podcast. My name is David Stewart. I manage the Chemsex clinics at Fifty Sixteen Street. Uh, chemsex is the use of certain recreational drugs in sexual contexts, by gay, bisexual and other men who have sex with men. And with me today is Dr. Adam Bourne from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine and part of the Sigma Research Group. Adam is a lecturer in public health and he's just written a paper based on some research he did a few years ago about chemsex trends in London, particularly the southern boroughs of London. Can
1: you tell us more about that, Adam? Um, Of course. So this study was conducted in early 2014, and we we, uh, spent it speaking to men uh, gay men living in the boroughs of Lambeth, Southwark, and Lewisham, talking to them about how they were using drugs in the context of their sexual lives. And this study was really initiated from listening to the concerns and the voices of sexual healthcare practitioners um, in places such as 56 Dean Street and hearing the stories of men coming into those clinics uh, with some pretty uh, troubling, complicated sexual uh, narratives and using drugs in a variety of very complicated ways. And there was a lot of concern about how these drugs. Drugs might be uh, implicated in rising rates of STIs and, uh, and HIV so we wanted to conduct a study that really drew together um, uh, some of those experiences and we spoke to 30 men across the three boroughs really to try to understand how drugs were playing a role in their in their kind of sexual risk behavior now in this kind of qu- qualitative study you can't say is A causing B and um, you can't say is chemsex, uh, what's leading to HIV or STI rising incidents. What you can do is ask how might it contribute? What are the circumstances that drugs facilitate that mean it's more likely that HIV or other STIs might be transmitted? And that's what we were really focusing on. Quantitative data will tell you how big a problem is, but it's this kind of qualitative data that helps you understand how you respond. It helps you understand how and why people are using the drugs. And it's that kind of detail you need to understand if you're to know what to do next when you're sitting with that gay man in the in the clinic room.
0: I I completely agree. It is it is quite hard to get some of that quantitative data together, but it is very important for clinicians such as myself and my colleagues to to look at this research and understand the behavioural drivers, which I think this paper or this research covered really well. Tell me more about what you found in regard to the behaviours.
1: So, I mean, I think um, what we see is CHEMS playing a role in HIV and STI transmission risk in in a number of ways. It is a very, very complicated association. There's been lots of research on drugs, the role of drugs in sexual risk behaviour for decades before and it always, the picture is always quite complicated and a little bit messy. And what we see here is a similar uh, is a similar complicated story with these drugs that have become popular in the UK within the last few years. Firstly, you see um, how drugs increase feelings of sexual arousal they, in a fundamental way they can make these three drugs, particular crystal meth, methadrome and GHB, can make you feel very, very horny and they maintain you in they can maintain you in that state of heightened sexual arousal for quite a long period of time and when that happens it also means that you're then able to have sex with a larger number of people uh, during the time in which you have this heightened state of sexual arousal and we were you know many of the men what we were te- we were speaking to would quite commonly have 20 30 40 even 50 sexual partners over the course of a long weekend they might go out on a friday night um, take some mephhodrome, uh, have another you know have go to a sex party, take another bump, go on to a sauna, um go on to another sex party, hook up with a guy by himself, go back to a sauna, um, and people kind of transitioning through a large number of sexual partners in a relatively short space of time. And in terms of uh, SDI transmission, not only is that more likely to happen because of that very, very dense concentration of people, but also what you see when people are having sex for longer periods, Um, you see a variety of physical uh, complications. And so we were quite a number of men reporting penile abrasions and also rectal trauma, um, uh, often as a result of being the receptive partner during anal intercourse with a large number of men. And both of those things we know increases the likelihood that STIs will be transmitted. What we also see is drugs um, playing a role in overriding um, cognitive capacity to some extent. So men just feeling completely out of control um, while they're under the influence of these drugs. And this was particularly among men who were more recently initiated into the drug use scene, were finding it harder to manage the drugs or control the, the amount of drugs that they were taking um, and they simply felt cognitively incapacitated. They weren't aware of their actions. They weren't aware of what they were doing and who they were doing it with. Um, and in those circumstances, they found it very, very difficult to even think about using condoms or other protective mechanisms. Um, and quite a number of them were engaging in sex, which was, uh, which was putting them at risk of HIV or SDI transmission.
0: From the paper you've written and the research you did, what is public, perhaps the post, most important message that you feel ought to be delivered to, to doctors and clinicians working with chemsex patients?
1: The most important thing is that every patient, every gay man who comes through the door is asked about it. They're asked about whether or not they are utilising drugs. And there are a variety of resources and training materials been put together by yourselves uh, at 5016 Street, who I think provide a really good kind of introduction of you know how to introduce uh, drugs in a clinic environment to men in a very sensitive and respectful way that isn't blaming it isn't judgmental it's just trying to understand if and how they're utilizing drugs and how they might be supported to do so better what this research really does demonstrate is that there is an association between chemsex and hiv and sti uh, incidents, some of some form. We can't say that it's causative. We can't say that one thing is leading to another. You can't say that from this kind of research. But what this research tells us is that it provides the environment in which those things can occur. And that's really troubling. And this is something that we should be paying more attention to. And every clinic visit should incorporate that kind of conversation with gay men.
0: I think some clinicians working in sexual health and HIV will probably be very uh, aware of chemsex presentations, uh, and a lot of clinicians are very aware of what to screen for and what to test. They're probably aware of the high risks. I think what's helpful about this research is it does, some of this behavior can challenge us as clinicians. It can seem almost self-harming. It can be frightening to wonder what does go on in a chemsex environment. You've got some great quotes and personal stories from people that kind of do lean toward why they're doing it. Can you help us out with
1: that? Sure. Again, it's a compl- I'm sorry to be the social scientist who always say it's a complicated story, but that is, <laughs> um, in fact, the truth. Um, men use drugs for a variety of reasons. Um, for one, they enhance sexual arousal. They can make sex feel amazing. They can make it feel better. And the moment we forget that, the moment we we seek to paint all types of drug use as negative, is the way is the time that we lose touch with those very people we're trying to connect with. If we can't understand that fundamental um, basis of drug use, um, then we really uh, it's going to be very very hard to engage with this population. That is that is just one reason though, and what we also see is a, a variety of more troubling issues. So men. Um, particularly men with lower self-esteem, with lower self-confidence, with poor body image, men who have feelings of internalised homonegativity still coming to terms with issues about their sexual identity, Um, HIV-positive men. Um, who are you know struggling to come to terms with their diagnosis, struggling to uh, to deal with the possibilities of rejection by sexual partners, and all of those types of men using drugs in order to distance themselves from those feelings, from those fears. Um, and that's I mean we know from a variety of literature and many many other fields how drugs and alcohol serve that purpose. They allow you to escape from from those kinds of feelings of doubt and shame. Um, and we saw that very much presented in the, in many of the men that we were speaking to as well. Can I turn the tables on you for a moment, David, and perhaps ask you how you see it reflected in your clinic um, and what kind of issues men are presenting with around why they're utilizing drugs, where you speak to them in a one-on-one environment?
0: I'm sure. Uh, I do work at a busy clinic that is specifically addressing difficult, high-risk populations. We have um, 11,000 people coming through our door every month. Uh, 7,000 of them are MSM, and we can estimate, based on an audit done last year, that about 3,000 of them are using recreational drugs. Only about 100 a month actually come forward wanting support with ChemSex. We diagnose between 40 and 60 MSM with HIV every month. A lot of those are associated with ChemSex. And we can do up to 100 PEP prescriptions every week, and most of them, I can say, quite accurately, the majority of them are associated with CHEMS. So we're very, very concerned. There are care pathways that exist already for drug services, uh, toward drug services from sexual health. Most of our patients, in fact, 99% of our patients have never been to a drug service. And the evidence that's collected at the Home Office or Public Health England is based on data collected from statutory drug services, not from sexual health clinics. So I'm going to ask, turn it back to you again. Why do you think it's important to be addressing this syndemic of chemsex within sexual health, uh, and what can't? What do you think clinicians or doctors can do to support the patients within the clinic if those patients are not taking up the referrals to drug services?
1: Of course, I mean, it's a very important question, and I think the simple answer is that men want to receive. Um, drug support services relating to chemsex in sexual health settings. We should celebrate the fact that we have some of the best sexual health services in the whole world, and we have gone, we've taken huge leaps in the last 10 years in making these, in making sexual health clinics comfortable, accessible. Um, accepting non-judgmental environments, where men are happy to go on a regular basis and talk about the sex that they're having um, to uh, to the clinical staff, that is a tremendous development. And I guess we shouldn't then be surprised that men, when they're dealing with having issues relating to their drug use, they want to talk about those issues in sexual health environments as well. And my personal view would be that we should very much be supporting um, sexual health clinics. Um, to do that, they should be adequately resourced to provide that service um, within the sexual health settings um, and also provided the training in order to do so as well to have those sensitive conversations about drugs to understand how drugs operate, what the different types of drugs are, the different drug interactions are, the harm reduction information there's a lot uh, of um, of capacity development that needs to be done um, particularly in particularly perhaps in places outside of London and where chemsex emerged as an issue uh, later than it did uh, here in the capital.
0: You've worked um, internationally as well. I know you have lots of networks uh, across Europe and further. Is Chemsex just a local London behaviour?
1: I think Chemsex, called Chemsex, is a a London behaviour or maybe a UK behaviour. Drug trends are very different in different parts of the world. So what is popular or not? It's very much dependent on market economics to a large extent. And so, which drugs men are many using and how they're using them does vary quite a bit. We do see chemsex as a similar issue arising in parts of Western Europe. There's been some interesting data published in Paris um, uh, last year around um, injection of crystal methamphetamine among gay men there. I know there's a lot of concern about it arising in Germany and some parts of Scandinavia as well. Um, And in those circumstances, chemsex is how it's being described and talked about as well. In the United States and in Australia, it's much more commonly referred to as party and play, but still talking about a similar kind of behaviour, drugs used very specifically for a sexual purpose, used entirely to facilitate that sexual encounter. So if we can ask you one final question, David, how do you feel this might help you in terms of the clinical work that you're doing and, and how it might advance all kind of clinic work relating to chemsex?
0: Uh, well, enormously, to be frank, the uh, this can be a, a challenging syndemic behaviour for clinicians to... Uh, the, you would assume that... When we screen or, no, just assess people for drug use, a referral is made elsewhere and our evidence is showing it's just, this seems to be a sexual problem more than it is a drug problem. And you were just saying, Adam, that we're well set up in the UK in the way our sexual health and HIV clinics work. We have health advisor teams that are quite often right on hand, right there on site to do behavioural interventions. Um, It might be a little frightening um, for them because it's drug use, but it's actually no different to helping a patient make changes today. So my advice for any clinician that can ask simple questions like, do you use party drugs for sex or um, do you use uh, drugs in a sexual context? Can we help you make some changes around this or identify some of the harms? There's health advisor teams right on hand. Rather than sitting down writing a royal mail letter to, letter to another drug service, it can be done right on site. And that's a, that's a very effective, brilliant intervention. And I think the other very important thing about this research is that it is the behavioural context of it. It's, it's really easy to identify and empathise with some of the patient's behaviours by reading this paper. It puts it into a rather brilliant context. Thank you, Adam.
1: Thank you, Dean.